Hey, welcome to the Test Piece Podcast. This podcast is about all things high-level climbing. My name's Joshua Horsley. I've been climbing for 25 years, and I love staying at the cutting edge of climbing. Hi, my name is Timothy Kang. I'm a pro climber, a coach, and a route setter, and climbing is my life. We started the podcast to explore and articulate what it takes to climb at a high level, what it takes to go from good to great. Okay, let's start the podcast. All right, Tim, my dude, how's it going, man? Josh, my dude, we're back. <laughs> I'm back in Salt Lake City, I mean. Yeah, you're back. I, I heard you had to uh, drive through 10 hours of uh, a winter storm from Las Vegas to Salt Lake. Um, oh, there was a pretty big winter storm that came in uh, through Salt Lake. And I think the second day we were driving from, we were driving from California to Vegas and then from Vegas to Salt Lake. And that's usually like a six hour drive, but it took us about 10 because the everything past St. George was pretty much just covered in snow. And it was bad snow and not very like plowed or the, pl I mean, there were plows, but they were very slow. So I was passing the plows and I mean, trying to get home <laughs> in a reasonable well, amount of time. It's a good thing you were in your Camry, which is <laughs> definitely, I assume you were in your Camry. No, 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 oh, no. Okay, good. <laughs> it's like, no, my girlfriend not... has a, has a much bigger car. Um, and so luckily we take that and it's got four by four and it's got better traction. So it, it was pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Just envision you passing snow plows in your Camry <laughs> with your, uh, you know, radar detector on just and <laughs> saying, oh, this storm's so bad. That's no, dude, I don't have a Camry, by the way. Honda Accords, Honda Accords can do it pretty good. <laughs> okay. I'll, well, I, I apologize. I guess, uh, the cord and the Camry just, um, kind of one-to-one in my mind. Um, well, uh, glad you made it home safe. Kind of, kind of over the snow, man. Um, I, mm -hmm. I was just saying to my buddy, I just want the snow to melt so I can climb on my precious rocks. That's, that's what I, that's what I've been thinking. I'm, I'm over, I'm over skiing. I'm done with it for the season. I want to climb, man. Dude, I don't know, like, uh, for the last decade of my climbing life, my entire climbing life, I've taken competitions and training extremely seriously. I, you know, I only go out, you know, a designated two or three weeks a year, uh, in my usual, you know, in my usual climbing life. And this year I made a very distinct decision to not do many comps and just go outside whenever I could. And it's April and I haven't been able to go outside very much because I don't know, it just feels, it feels kind of normal because I'm just still training in the gym and doing, you know, local comps and whatever. Uh, but I'm waiting, like I'm, I'm happy to ditch any of my climbing sessions for an outdoor session. I just haven't been able to yet. So, you know, I'm not sure what uh, an outdoor climbing year looks like yet, but hopefully it'll happen pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. The, the big joke here in this year is, is that, uh, we have you know like 50 feet of snowpack and it's going to Jeez. melt just in time for it to snow again. You know, it's kind of mm. like, you know, the spring season is, is always a little hard up here in Tahoe because you have a lot of snow and then it gets hot and uh, you know, things are still covered or they're seeping. And then when it finally melts, it's because it's hot and you can, and then stuff like castle peak, you can finally access via the roads. Um, and then it's hot and you're like, well, where was my spring season? So I think this year for me, I'm going to, focus more on sport climbing because I, I mean, for one thing, it's just not as condition dependent or at least for me, because I'm not that good of a sport climber. Like my, I don't fail because the, the holds felt small. I fail because my hands can't grip any holds. Um, <laughs> and so I, th I think that's going to be my trick this year. Cause I'm worried that the Sierra season is going to be mm, not so great. Well, where's your, where's your like best closest crag from Reno? 
for sport climbing? Uh, for sport, I mean, dude, just uh, like snowshed walls, star walls up on Donner Summit. Oh, cool. Um, cool. Uh, you know, that's only like 40 minutes for me or like, you know, 35 if I'm driving real fast. Uh, and it stays pretty cold. I mean, it's high elevation. It's right on the top. Uh, but I am interested in, I think it's called Zebra Wall or like Cascade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you been there? It's, it's supposed to I've have never like- been to Zebra Wall, but. Yeah, I mean, dude, Weekend Joe at Bernie's just, is supposed to be one of the best 14s ever. That that's kind of that that was kind of what um, pulled me into it. Was just I've heard from a few people that potentially Weekend at Bernie's is the best 14A or something in uh, in California, which is uh, yeah, that's it's it's not too far away from me. But so yeah, 40 foot blue uh, granite wall or 40 meter blue granite uh, walls sound kind of yeah. good to me. Um, so, anyways. Uh, yeah. Uh, goodbye, cold weather or, you know, hello, snow melt. I just, I want to get outside, Tim. It sounds like you do too. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're going to go to Joe's probably in like within a week. Hopefully we'll just go and try to epic some snow or I think the weather's going to be nice, but yeah, same. It's going to be a lot of snow and it's just going to have to melt and stuff, but we're, tr- we're going to try. We're going to try to go out. <laughs> All right. Well, check out this segue, Tim. Um, Joe's Valley is sandstone. Um, and lots of st- sandstone leads to slopers. And we were going to talk today about the best way to use slopers. Slopers, all the techniques nice. around slopers. Um, yeah, do you like that? I mean, unfortunately, Joe's Valley is like very Joe's crippy. Valley is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, you see but where sandstone has a lot of slopers. <laughs> okay, thanks, man. Yeah, you can give that to me, please. Um, yeah, so, you know, the, the last three uh, pods we've done, we really focused on these these basics, these fundamentals around climbing, developing some language around how to deconstruct climbing. And, you know, it's fun also to then dive back into specifics and, uh, slopers are a type of climbing hold. Um, and you know, it's not that this is somehow divorced from balance mechanics effort, uh, it's actually just, again, like the further application of those ideas into more specific scenarios. And so I think it's good for us to talk about the actual things we encounter and take that almost like theoretical or abstract or, or meta climbing ideas and talk about how do you use a sloper on a 45 degree overhang? You know, like, you know, how do we deconstruct that specific thing, uh, you know, really into those examples? So, um, slopers is the topic today. We might throw in a bit on pinches because a lot of what makes slopers unique kind of, uh, apply to pinches. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll go into maybe the differences between slopers and pinches further, and maybe someday we'll do a, a pinching only episode. But uh, I think slopers, I think if I were to categorize climbing into two types of holds, there's crimps and almost not crimps, right? It's like either you crimp it or you don't. And we're going to call those slopers really. So um, yeah, Tim, let's talk about slopers today, man. Cool. Yeah. I mean, so that was a, a good caveat there that we are already, we already are talking about in the last couple of podcasts, um, kind of balance mechanics, effort, all the fundamentals in climbing movement. And we are going to mention a lot of that stuff. So if you're new to the podcast and you've, you know, this is the first episode you're listening to probably go back uh, just a couple of episodes and that'll help understand a lot more of what we're talking about. Cause I know at least when I'm describing slopers, most of what I'm talking about is how to move around slopers. And a lot of that revolves around the fundamentals of climbing movement, which is stuff we've already spent three good hours talking about on, in other podcasts. Um, before we get into slopers, I have a pro tip that has to do with slopers. Um, 
Skin conditions are quite crucial for optimal friction in climbing. So not just in slopers, but friction in general. Um, not only is it important to have the engaging strength to move on holds, but also be aware of the friction and how to best use it. So, uh, something that I've learned a lot moving from California to Salt Lake city, a lot going to Europe, you know, climbing in San Diego, you know, the South, like wherever it is, conditions have a huge factor when it comes, you know, conditions, conditions themselves in, you know, humidity and weather have are a huge factor in affecting your skin conditions and having optimal skin conditions, or at least realizing what your skin conditions are at have a huge effect on you know, optimal friction or bad friction in climbing. And that doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, my skin's bad today, I can't climb. Uh, but just being aware of that and using maybe, you know, climbing in a slightly different way, or kind of maintaining your skin in a better way. So if you have extremely dry skin, find something to kind of moisten up that skin. Um, if you have extremely moist skin, find a way to dry up that skin, maybe that'll help. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely uh, I'm on the moisture side. <laughs> I definitely uh, embrace the the uh anti-hydral and i i know we've done some chats about that but uh uh yeah uh good pro tip tim i i wish i could reuse my pro tip about thinking about your thumb when pinching because i just think that you know somehow uh you know it's applicable to if we talk about pinches um i i this is a totally off topic um pro tip but i just saw it yesterday when i was climbing with my buddy in the gym it, it's just this reminder to when you're lead climbing Clip at your waist, climb above the draw, clip, clip at your waist. It's so much faster. It's so much easier. And although it feels like when you are clipping below that you're somehow safer, but by picking up that slack and reaching up to the clip, you actually will take a similar fall, if not a bigger fall, if you somehow blow the clip. So if you yeah, blow that clip while clipping from low, you're going to take the same falls if you climb above and clip at your waist. So it's it's not even helping you be safer. It's definitely making you more tired. Um, so just you know, reframe that. Like, get your head on right because you shouldn't be scared in in either scenario. But they also are equally quote unquote dangerous, even though they're not. So just a little reminder. And uh, just before we go in, I, I also want to apologize. I don't know if you can hear uh, the the leaf blowing. Somehow my HOA decided that uh, this is definitely the best time to leaf blow. So if you hear, I think it's good. Noise, I can't. I can't really hear it. Okay, good. Then it'll only yeah. annoy me. I'm glad it won't annoy you. <laughs> um, okay, well, uh, let's dive into it. And I, I think one of the reasons why this is an interesting topic is, I, I mean, we will probably go into crimps as well, but I, I think why slopers are more interesting than crimps in a way is that you see a lot of people get into climbing. It could be when you're really young. It could be when you're older. I would say that people who often are attracted to climbing excel at it from the very first day, right? You know, it's just like, oh, maybe this is something I'm good at. And I'm just going to make a, a generalization, say that what I've seen often is that it's people who are, uh, you know, maybe thinner for their size that they, uh, you know, I use the term slight. They, they typically, uh, you know, aren't going to be really overweight. Um, they may not be necessarily really muscular. In fact, I'm sure you've, <laughs> I, I loved seeing, I don't know if I love this, but I, you know, you'd see guys come in, and I say guys, uh, you see guys come in who are bodybuilders, you know, big old, you know, just nothing but bench press. And then they just flail and look terrible on the wall and, you know, and they're jacked, they're in good shape. I don't want to take anything away from, from that, but you know, they're not, they're, maybe they're not instantly predisposed to climbing, 
So, so what I see is a lot of people who are really thin, um, really light for their size and frame, and they often excel at climbing from the very beginning because the holds feel good. And often they're great crimpers, you know, because they're so, so light, uh, for the, for their size. And my wife was classic for this. She could just crimp anything. Um, and so she excelled in climbing really early on, um, but in a very narrow band. Uh, and you know, she climbed multiple V eights, uh, very quickly. Um, but <laughs> gosh, did she struggle with slopers? It just, it, it, it's not that she couldn't climb. No, she really couldn't climb on slopes. Sorry, Jess, if you, if you ever listen to this, <laughs> like she really, you know, I would argue she was closer to like maybe a V three or V four, uh, sloper, uh, climber. And this is despite really putting in time and, and, but, you know, leaning more towards crimping. And so slopers seem to have this, gosh, what's, you know, mechanic, uh, balance requirements that, uh, demonstrate that you have a more complete understanding of how to move on the wall and use them to the best of their, use them to the, to the best of what they can be. And so, you know, that's why I think slopers are interesting. And I, I know, uh, Tim, you know, looking at, you know, talking to you before and looking at some of your notes, it's, I'd love to hear you talk more about why, you know, why crimps are so different from slopers and what kind of requirements they take both physically and technique wise. Yeah. I think, I think you're saying a very interesting thing here, which is extremely true for the vast majority of climbers. And, and just by the way, before we get super into it, if you are a climber who started and you're really good at slopers and pinches over other hold types, that's awesome. Like, you know, hopefully you listen to this podcast and it echoes a lot of the good things that you're already doing because chances are you understand or your body understands optimal climbing movement or mechanics or balance decently well. If you're, if you're actually excelling on slopers and pinches, especially over crimps and crimps tend to be a lot easier access to just getting robust fingers enough to be able to grab any crimp on the wall. And, uh, the, the word that I use a lot is that slopers are punishing and punishing in kind of the realm that Josh is talking about where, Slopers have this requirement of having a strong understanding of where your center of gravity is, how, you know, where, where you, how you're supposed to create leverage on those holds and how you're supposed to stay on the holds is a very interesting requirement required to actually be on the wall for slopers. But crimps don't really have that requirement other than the basic amount of strength and then understanding how to use what you have. It's not as punishing. You know, you can, you can get away with a lot more movements on crimps. Now I'm not saying that optimal movement doesn't you know, optimal mechanics can't support moving better on crimps. That's not what we're saying at all. You know, we, we have a podcast that talks entirely about that. But when we go into the nitty gritty about crimps versus slopers, slopers have a much deeper requirement than, than most crimping does. And I mean, I mean, you could, uh, you can have a four mil crimp climb that obviously, you know, is going to be very different. But if you're comparing grade to grade, you know, a V4 crimp climb to a V4 sloper climb, a V5 crimp climb to a V5 sloper climb, a V10 crimp ladder to a V, you know, I just called it a ladder, by the way, but, you know, a V10 crimp climb to a V10 sloper climb, there's going to be different requirements for those climbs. And generally people will struggle because, and I think the general, the kind of assumption that because people automatically feel better on crimps and then don't understand slopers early on, I think is a fair assumption to make. Now, um, Michaela, my girlfriend, a lot of what, you know, I try to kind of like, she, she doesn't take my coaching, by the way, you know, anyone who's listening and thinks that, you know, because she's, you know, uh, dating a, a coach or, you know, pro climber, like she's automatically good. Now she doesn't listen to me. So if she listened, maybe she would be, you know, maybe, maybe I would take credit for like how she's doing things, but she does a lot of things on her own. But what, she, what, you know, the little things that I can offer are like, hey, I think you should pull on that boulder. You know, I think this boulder is cool, like for, for these reasons. And like a lot of the things that I say are overhung and slopers, because those two different, you know, climbing 
difficulty factors are something you just have to be aware of, I think, when you're kind of getting better at climbing. So if you're listening to this podcast and you're an early climber, just climb more slopers. Just challenge yourself on them more and try to understand them more. Don't force what you already know and you know, pretend that you know the best way on every climb, uh, figure out the best way to do with what you're allowed. Um, anyway, that's kind of my thought on slopers as a whole. Um, very similar to what, what Josh is saying. And I'm just trying to echo what Josh is saying as well. Well, the, I love that word punishing. I, I think that really in, encompasses it because I, I want to highlight what you said where it's actually no different, right? Like the, it's not that um, you, you know, if you have a side pull that's a crimp, you still need to create opposition and a line of pull that optimizes how to use a crimp as a side pull. Uh, and if it was a sloper, it doesn't really change exactly what's going on. But oftentimes with crimps, you can overpower the movement with finger strength because it allows you to leverage into the wall, like use, use the hold that in cut to really pull your body in. Cause you're so strong and your fingers are just like, Oh, this isn't a crimp. This is more like a jug, uh, where with slopers, because the friction, uh, only allows you to pull in so much. Like you, you can't, you can't take a sloper and suck your body into the wall as well because you have friction, uh, constraints versus, uh, just in cut uh, and kind of that strength, right? I hope that makes sense even when you're hearing it on audio. Uh, and so, yeah, I think punishing is the right word because for me, I, I would argue that really small micro crimps kind of almost become slopers again for me, or uh, it's, it's, mm. it's this thing where it's like, I have no ability to yard on that micro crimp. So I have to then double down again on that body position and, uh, mechanics to make it, uh, as, as little outward pull as possible. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, this kind of just goes, this is my whole like thought process on slopers as a whole is, is really this idea of, pun you know, slopers are punishing and why are they punishing? And how do you, how do you kind of look into that? <clears throat> well, the thing that I have in mind when I go to the climbing gym is slopers and pinches in general, I think pinches are far less often like this because, you know, pinches can in the gym be like often too juggy, but we'll just assume that we're talking about slopey pinches here. Um, but slopers and pinches can teach us what mechanics are needed in climbing a lot more specifically than crimps. So there's a more kind of, uh, a more, uh, concise definition of kind of what we're talking about. And, um, I kind of wrote that because creating and maintaining leverage on slopers, not only are dependent on strength, but also body position during active movements. It's very much matters what is activating when and for how long. And I mean, with your entire body. And yeah, Josh is kind of mentioning that it's, it's difficult to move around, you know, when you're on the wall with slopers more than it is with crimps. And that's, and that's even more of a reason why these, these types of mechanics are far more important when it comes to, to movement, because you have to get extremely creative. Um, I wrote this in a different note, but you have to have extremely creative technical movements. And it also teaches you what type of strength building is important for climbing, because it tells you what type of leverage you need to create for climbing movements. Not so much what you can, but what you need. And I think slopers kind of teach us that a lot more. And another note that I wrote about this is when falling on moves with slopers or more slopey holds, think about what mechanics are allowed and what mechanics are required for movement. So if you're going, you know, in, in compression and the holds are just too bad to, to move one way, you have to think about what can get me to go which way I need to go, right? So if I'm going left hand, you know, what, what can I go left hand with? Now with a crimp, if your right hand was on a crimp, 
and your left hand was, you know, or depending on what f- foot setup you have, if your right hand is on something kind of in cut, it doesn't necessarily matter very much what your lower body is doing. You could essentially campus the move, but often you'll see a lot of slopey climbs cannot necessarily be campused because you have to use your lower body, right? But, you know, I could go into the gym and campus a fair amount of crimpy climbs up to like V11 and slopers, you know, I could probably fall on a lot of V5s just because the movement is contingent on my mechanics and I have to figure out what is allowed and what is required. Yeah, that's uh, in my notes when I thought about uh, slopers and why exactly it's advanced hold is is a lot of that. It's you, you really need to better understand what your body position is, what your balance is, how to pull on them. Uh, but then I, I think that there's also something a little bit there, there's something a little bit further than that too. And I think you're, you're getting at this where there's some kind of connection. I'm going to use the word body tension where you, you have to uh, squeeze between the two holds to create more friction. You have to uh, put more weight on your feet and then connect that foot all the way through to your upper body to get that uh, body position in close to the wall. So I, you know, I think I'm taking it for granted that people understand that you need to, in general, be closer to the wall. I'll just say that in general. And I, I think that one of the the kind of simplest ways to understand that is if you were to be on a vertical wall and then you grab the top of the wall and it's flat. So it's just a flat ledge. Uh, that hold would feel really good. It's just a flat down pull on top of a wall, uh, you know, 90 degrees perpendicular, just something to hold on to, right? We call that a jug. But then if you were to tilt everything back 45 degrees, that would be a sloper and it wouldn't be so good, right? And then now all of a sudden you're grabbing something that's a 45 degree hold and you're 45 degrees. Uh, but the trick is, is if your line of pull is still directly along the wall, so directly 90 degrees from the the hold. And I know I'm just throwing out a bunch of angles, but hopefully people understand just this idea of tilting back the wall. You can imagine that the closer you are to the wall, the more you pull straight down versus out, the better the hold is. And so what that means is that when you have an in-cut crimp or a jug, you can pull on it and lever your body in close to the wall. It lets you pull your whole back and hips slammed into the wall easier. Uh, and in some ways, it doesn't matter what your feet are doing as much. Of course, it, you know, still got to use your feet. But with slopers, you don't get to have that outward pull leverage near as much because it's dependent just solely on the friction. So it requires you to connect that hand with your feet and your hips and your torso and suck into the wall. And uh, so that really, that connection, which I think is, I, I find it lacking in even surprisingly high level climbers. Uh and it's a really hard thing to, to teach also, I, I find for older climbers, is understanding how to connect the tips of your toes to the tips of your your fingers. And then the last thing that I think makes it a, a more advanced uh, hold type than crimping is that sometimes the way or often the way you get more friction on that sloper in order to leverage yourself in is with the other hand. Uh, or it could be a heel hook or the other foot where it allows you to squeeze the wall. This happens more likely on our ret. squeeze the wall. So then now you're, you know, imagine like clapping your hands together. So you're adding friction to the hold, which then allows you to lever in your body that much more where if it was in cup crimp, you wouldn't require that other hand to, to create that compression. Does that make sense, Tim? Is that? Oh yeah. 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 For sure. I think, yeah. The, the, so actually, practice something similar to this called the, uh, I call it the bridge concept where I'll 
often climb on an overhung wall or the moonboard, and I'll climb as stretched as possible, and I'll practice this kind of you know tension connection you're talking about. And slopers do have a more specific version of its own bridge. Uh, you also find that you do match slopers far more often. I mean, I think it just happens to be that slopers, uh, especially outdoors, are much bigger holds, and actually, definitely in the gym nowadays because of these new kind of fiberglass holds, there are a lot of them matchable, right? And, and people avoid matching because it's like, well, I'm trying to go up, I'm trying to go to the next hold, but sometimes matching a hold just recreates that bridge, right? It recreates a, a point of tension that you can, you know, then pull on this heel differently. You can pull from a different place, place a center of gravity, which is something else I'm going to talk about later. Um, and it's funny because, you know, I think the, the earliest concept of slopers for most people, I would say like, you know, when people start getting into climbing and then somebody tells them about a sloper, they hear that they're like, yeah, when you grab a hold, you know, you want to be underneath it. You know, it's like the most common thing is well, what does that mean underneath? Like, well, your center of gravity wants to be underneath it, not necessarily your entire body, but your center of gravity, where does your center of gravity come from? It depends, you know, where your body is, you know, how spread out your body is, but your center of gravity wants to stay on the inside point of a sloper as much as possible, just not away from the sloper. And that's kind of obvious if you try to, if you try to just like, I don't know, grab, I put my hand on my desk here and the orientation that it's in because it's underneath me is really bad. But as soon as I sit underneath my desk, that becomes a better hold, right? So that's kind of the thought process with slopers. And I actually wrote a note here that is kind of counters that idea. And I think the reason why I wrote this note is because as slopers get more and more advanced and as climbing movements become more and more advanced, and I think this is the beauty of route setting. It's also, for me, very disappointing with poor route setting. <laughs> a little bit of insight into what, what you know my opinion about poor route setting is a set I think a setter can do a really good job of challenging how to move across slopers based on the feet that they give you or based on the feet that they don't give you. And then <laughs> Sloper movements for me are almost entirely based off of the the foot positioning and the 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 relative I don't know how how much tension you can create on feet right because we're talking about before requirements but also what is allowed in terms of movements for mechanics. Um, but something that I wanted to say that kind of um, contradicts what Josh is saying is be careful with the internal language when it comes to holding on and moving on slopers because if you overdo this concept and you'll find this if you're maybe like a v7 climber or more you'll maybe relate with this a lot more uh, because when you try moving on slopers you realize that okay I'm trying to go up and this is what I can do with my feet but I'm leaning away from my sloper just so the sloper feels better, right? And the, the trick is that finding a middle ground between those two, but not basing it off the internal language because no shit, a sloper is going to feel bad. <laughs> you know, that's like a, a really important concept to have. Uh, I kind of wrote slopers generally won't feel amazing, even in the most ideal positions, they won't feel amazing, but there's still a kind of a job that needs to be done. So, you know, Josh is saying that slopers generally feel best when you're far away from them, but that can also hinder your movement. It can hinder the optimal movement. So it's just something to think about. Uh, I kind of wrote this, this applies for all climbing, but will be more punishing and you'll run into this mental battle more often on slopey and pinchy movements. And I, I'm I'm talking about a mental battle where you grab a sloper and you're like, wow, I can't move off of this. We want to change that definition. We want to adjust that definition of, well, maybe you don't feel like you can pull off that hold, but you can definitely hold onto this hold in, you know, whatever position you're in and generate with another part of your body. And that's, you know, another really important idea when you're conceptualizing the difficulty of slopers and how to make them better. Yeah. I, when, when you shared your notes with me and I saw that, that mental aspect, I, I loved it because I, I it's so important to recognize that just because a hold doesn't feel good 
Yeah, you're like, no shit, it doesn't feel good. The whole uh, that that's not really. It, it doesn't mean that it's not usable, and, and it also made me think of a, a tip you had around developing a slab footwork and standing on volumes or, or, or tiny feet is just stepping on it. And then it blows. Like, find out what that limit really is. Hmm. Uh, although I will say with slopers that that uh, costs you a lot of skin. Um, but but it is good to understand that perhaps your idea around how bad the sloper is is flawed. You, you know, you you may be incorrect with yeah, it feels bad, uh, but it may be better than you think. And uh, my okay, I came up with a pro tip while you're talking about slopers and and uh, and how they're big holds and everything and. Uh, I actually think that something that you should know about slopers is that they are ripe for uh, hand foot heels or they're ripe for, for heel hooking often. And sometimes what makes a sloper bad, that's big and kind of rounded, it can make a really good heel because it, it, all of a sudden now you have rubber on uh, you know something instead of skin and you can just get locked in there. So it's just something I often think about when I'm on a big hold is I'm pretty flexible. I often go, can I put my heel on here? Can I swap my hand for my heel? And sometimes that heel feels better than your hand did on there. Um, so that's an aside, but hopefully relevant. Uh, and I guess where I want to go from here, Tim, is I, I do want to get into some nitty gritty about uh, applying these concepts we're talking about, but I want to take one last kind of uh, shot at what I'm going to call the the basics of, of slopers. And then I want to go into some different angles, some different types of, uh, you know, overhang slab roof, all that stuff. But here's just my kind of general advice around slopers. And, you know, it should echo what, what you've been saying, what we've been talking about, but basically, uh, you know, get that weight in in line with the hold and get your weight and your center of gravity in line with the direction of the hold, uh, and get it close to the wall. I mean, if you're on, you know, avert, that means hanging low uh, underneath it. Uh, if it's a side pull, get out, you know, to the other side to to make it useful. And like we've been saying, get get close to the wall. I think we already covered that, but it bears repeating because that's kind of slopers 101. And you know, the mental aspect of that is less pulling through and more moving around the hold, right? And, I mean, this is this is something we talk about time and time again, but not just you know, don't try to just say this sloper is bad. I'm going to pull on it as hard as I can. You know, that's, that's, that's the wrong uh, mental model. Uh, you know, you don't want to rely on finger strength. And, and I also, I, I think it's important for us to point out that there is a strength in your hand and fingers involved with slopers. This is not to say that there's no strength component to using slopers that there definitely is. Uh, but you know, we can't really, we can't, uh, you can't listen to this podcast, hear our words, and then your fingers get stronger. What you can do is learn some techniques to help utilize the best thing you have or you know what you have in that moment. And so, you know, talking about the training for slopers isn't going to really do you any good. Uh, you know, go train for slopers, go climb slopers, you get stronger. Uh, last two things are slopers work well with toe hooks and heel hooks. They suck you, the, you know, heel hook gives you that opposition, gets your hips close to the wall. And so I think that slopers really often, uh, especially when we get into steeper climbing, really pair well with heels and toes. So just keep an eye out for that when you're on a bad sloper can make all the difference. And the last thing uh, is to really, really open your hips. 
right? Like, the, I mean, this comes with this, this is why heel hooks work. Uh, but if you have a sloper and you are maybe matched on, you know, you can imagine you're on the wall matched on some big sloper right in front of your chest. Well, if your feet are right underneath you, your butt's sticking out, your hips are far away, you're just getting ripped off the wall. Right now, instead of hanging down on the sloper, you are pulling out on the sloper and slopers are slopey. So they don't work so well on that. So, uh, Tim, uh, hopefully that, that just kind of, uh, encompassed everything we were saying. Just, I, you know, I kind of wanted a, a, a slopers 101. And then as we go through the different, uh, scenarios, we can, you know, just kind of mix and match these ideas. And I don't know if you want to say more nice. about the basics or how you want to proceed with that. I mean, the one, the one thing that kind of, um, I, can definitely relate to seeing watching beginners on slopers is really interesting because there's like a very, I mean, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a beginner grab a sloper and not panic, you know, and then I've almost never seen them panic and make the right choice. Generally panic induces pulling, right? Panic induces, you know, pulling on a hold and, you know, should make it feel better for sure. If it's like, no, it's just not how slopers work. You have to put your body in the right place. Um, so panic, if you grab a sloper and you panic, it should induce better technique. It should induce better movement. If you panic, move. Don't pull. You panic, move. <laughs> That's like a common thing that we would do in like spray wall training is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll just random point for our friends or whatever. And someone's, you know, points at a hold. And I mean, when we were weaker or when we were not very good or not very strong in the mind, you know, Danny would point at a hole and be like, dog, what are you talking about? That holds so bad. Right. And I'd be like, why am I, why am I like arguing with him? But what he's stick pointing, I should just try my absolute best and, and grab it. And of course, sometimes it's like, oh, I'm, you know, climbing like 12C and it gives me this like 14C move. I'm like, okay, that's, that's obviously too hard. But the hold, the definition for me was based on the hold and not so much what the, the movement that I was doing, right? So and that kind of allowed me to, to play with my intuition a little bit. But yeah, if you panic, move your body, right? That was always something that we talked about with each other. Just move your body. You know, there's a better place. There's always a better place for your body to be in. And you just don't have to pull on the hold that hard. <laughs> Do I want to link that to our last podcast on effort? That's that classic thing where like it starts getting hard. And so you just think you're like, I'm going to pull harder. Like I need to just <laughs> grab it and grip it harder. And yes, that's a type of effort, but it's, it's what you're saying is instead of panicking and just being like, I'm going to dig my fingers and I'm going to tense up even more. It's no, uh, how can I listen to my, my body and the balance and think about another mechanic and then embrace that mechanic and, and move. I, I like that. You said, you said, if you panic, you should be, your default should be to move, not to pull harder. And, uh, you know, you see that in great comp climbers, you see them stressing out and then they start shifting around positions. They don't just look up at the, well, this happens sometimes, and, uh, you know, and sometimes it's the right choice. I'm not going to lie. They just look up at, at the top and they just jump, right? Like that's, that's not, that's a beginner move, uh, versus, okay, what's available to me? Where can I put my focus and effort right now? Not, you know, the panic is there. You're like, I don't feel good. This is bad. <laughs> like I'm stressing out. Where's a new foot? And how do I get on that foot? Not how can I just jump through this? Yeah. And I think the climbers that you watch like Tomoa or like Yoshiyuki, um, I think the ones who look like they just seem to commit to jumping as their default, I think they just realize that when they're reading all of their options, the immediate options that they read to move are not as good as jumping, you know? And if you're able to make that distinction and make an obvious distinction, if you panic and say, but if I move that way, it's not going to be as good as jumping, then I would say justify jumping, right? But if we default to jumping right away because we can't move or 
based on our definition of what feels possible, we think we can't move, then I think that's a poor default to have, right? We should be considering the other options and we try them. And then if, you know, if those options don't work, we can always go back and try to jump. You know, you you don't have to, you don't have to overcommit to every option and, and fall, you know? Yeah. God, it's just funny how this pendulum just swings too far each way, you know, uh, earlier in the climbing world, I, I would think of kind of this French sport climbing technique where it was, you know, three points on, move your feet, perfect technique. Oh, you don't feel good. Keep moving your feet, lock it off, look for it. And honestly, that kind of wastes a lot of energy sometimes. And then you get this bouldering world where it's, where it's really focused on dynamic jump to the next hold. And, you know, uh, you, sometimes you put a sport climber on like a moon board and they're like, well, how do I get to that next hold? And it might even be not that hard to move, but it's outside of their realm of thinking that they could just jump. But then I will suffer from this too, where, okay, I'm, I like jumping. I like latching holds. Sometimes I'll go sport climbing and I will kind of refuse to jump through a section. I'm just obsessed with keeping my feet on tic-tacking through where sometimes the better move is to is to jump. And, and this is why, I mean, this is why we talk about this stuff and love this stuff is you know, we're sitting here like, this is the right answer. Like focus on it. Don't just jump. Well, actually, sometimes it can be the right answer. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah, this is that building that intuition, um, and listening, but I I think the, the message there was also like that effort, like listening to that for, for me, it's listening to that quiet voice. Like, um, am I, am I making the right decision? The, the heart, the, the one I actually kind of know deep down, or am I panicking? Like you're saying, am I just, so, uh, I love that little uh, yeah. tangent we went on there. Okay. Well, uh, Tim, um, I'm going to uh, hit you with what the heck do you do with slopers on slab climbs? And I'm hitting you with that because in my notes, which must I, I wrote, um, honestly, uh, not that much going on here, just really on your feet, which <laughs> which isn't completely wrong, I think, but it shows you how bad I am at slab, I mean, I'm actually pretty good at slab climbing, but it shows you just my lack of really deep understanding where I I think you've encountered a lot more slab, a lot more difficult slab and a lot more slopers on slab. So yeah. uh, What's your rundown on when you encounter bad slopers, big slopers, just what's your mental model around slab climbing and slope slopers? So I think, um, I read that in your notes and I was like, Oh God, Josh, <laughs> this is not true. <laughs> but I like I like what you're saying because also at the at the entry level, it actually is true. At the entry level, up until like V four, I would say in the gym, you know, maybe not outside, but you know, because outside the definitions of grades become extremely skewed towards people's opinions. And you know, if you go to horse pens and you climb Bumboy, you know, which is V three. I just don't think anyone would ever in any gym call it V3, you know, but Hey, whatever it's horse pens. They want to call it level three there. It's fine. You know, I don't care, but we know what difficulty it is. That, that, that's a test piece. That is a V3 test piece. piece. And when (laughs) I went there, uh, I got on millipede right next to it and I was having a banger trip, dude. I was strong. Uh, it took me so many i really i almost was it v5 v6 it's v5 i think it's v5 <laughs> and there's this there's the video of me in the south like you'll see me get up it it's not pretty it's not pretty tim yeah uh, by the way those two are slabs they're not slabby slope they're not yeah, overhung oh, right. climbs you know oh, so, it, oh now it makes sense why yeah. I, I don't know what i'm doing okay <laughs> all right go on tim yeah, yeah. well so so bumboy is an interesting one because i actually think that one's kind of bypassable in terms of all the grabbing you don't really need to because there's a lot of 
there's a lot of little tricks you can do with your body and your feet to make sure you don't have to grab very much. But on Millipede, I actually didn't even try Millipede because I was having a banger of a day and I was sending like crazy because I went just for Triple Crown and I had to do 10 my hardest climbs i won that triple crown which is my first time in horse pens and so i was not going to try millipede and you know fall over this thing and not get any points either uh, but it looked super interesting i was watching people try it and it looked really fun and that's one that is a lot more punishing there were no feet that you could just walk up you had to grab and you had to balance into the wall and you had to constantly create and maintain leverage you have to constantly create and maintain leverage to be on the wall and then when you're in this constant when you're in this constant creation of leverage and tension you can't really create dynamic movements. You can't really easily create, you know, longer reaches, which is why I think, in my opinion, grit, grit climbing is fascinating because a lot of that type of rock lends itself to that movement where you're in this extremely tight, tense position on slopers. It's mostly slopers or rats, you know, squeezing type positions. And then for some reason, a lot of the grit climbing has these big jumps or, you know, big latches on slopers or, you know, ah, like big slaps and stuff. And like, that seems incredibly difficult, right? Like we've all watched some grit stone climbing and these guys are just full badasses. First of all, they're have like a piece and a half on the wall and like maybe some dinky crash pad and they're doing the most precise, the most delicate, but powerful slopey movements. You know, I think are ever around the world, to be honest, I like were talking about horse pens, but really that's like people were doing millipede at like 20 feet on grit, you know, like that, that's at least my interpretation of hard grit climbing. But yeah, why is that place definitely has some kind of mystique, Tim? It seems like you would really enjoy oh, uh, going dude, and I testing want to yourself so there. So bad. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I, and I'm sorry to interrupt your. Uh, you, okay. I, I, it just made me think of why I love uh, slopey climbing so much is that that dynamic or that that what you say you know that consistent tension that you have to maintain where if anything relaxes you're off the wall and you know I, I came from gymnastics and i i think i really enjoy this this uh almost like wrestling match idea of you're just you're so tight the whole time versus kind of hanging low and loose on a, on a tiny you know like i mean i'm not saying that you don't have to be tight on on crimps but there's something about that slopey full body where you come down and you're like i only took one breath because I had no, I had to create max tension the whole time. So, okay. Slope slabs, slopers, millipede, um, back at it. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think what's so interesting about slopers in general, you know, regardless if you're talking about slab vert overhang, you know, slight overhang or whatever, is that it teaches us how to use and work around our center of gravity. It's kind of something we mentioned a couple of times, our center of gravity. What does that mean? Like, what? why is it important? Why is our center of gravity so important? And, I, you know, the thought here is kind of Josh talking about, you know, if your feet are right in front of you and your hips are behind you and your butt's behind you, that's where your center of gravity is. It's behind you, right? But you want, you want your center of gravity to be in line with the wall as much as possible, but also understanding the relative swaying tension the barn door tension the you know the downward tension if you have slopey feet or you know whatever it is everything's fighting at getting your center of gravity off the wall so your job is to fight to keep your center of gravity in the wall so you know bec because it's slopers they teach us by punishing us what is allowed and what isn't allowed and i think that's really really important to think about when you're when you're climbing on slopers maintaining tension on vert and slab is mostly based on where your center of gravity is relative to the placement of holds Combined with how poor the angle texture and size of holds are, this is what can make low angle climbing so difficult and interesting, in my opinion. So based on whatever you have, all of the relativity, that's why I think you know, I, I really enjoy, I got to set for a week at um, Al's little wall in, uh, in San Diego and at, at, um, at the wall. 
and his whole little training dungeon room is pretty much a slab wall like it's there's one i think 15 or 20 degree overhung wall and everything else is slab and i got to sit and coach there for a week and i could not believe how much fun i was having just creating new movements on slabs and verts because all he had were these you know awful comp style slopey holds and volumes and features and i was like wow like you you can do a lot like you can make a lot up you can you can punish a lot you can create factors of difficulty in ways that you really cannot on an overhung problem because size has such a you know a dependency in terms of like powerful movements you know everyone's opinion on a hard latch movement is going to be different depending on their size and strength you know and that's kind of poor in my opinion and watching 12 year old kids beat 18 year old kids on slab was so interesting to me you know when we were when i was basically i would set a whole round and they would do a mock round like every day and i would see who would excel on what style and why they would do that and it would make me set a, a you know, arguably a better or different round the next time. It just had to pay attention to why people were struggling or why people were excelling. And it all had to do with just body placement, the hold placement, what they were doing, what they thought were was allowed, their thresholds of their mental threshold of what they think is possible for themselves when they're grabbing a hold. I think that's all for me, what's very interesting about sloper climbing. And I think the slabs and the verts are just the most kind of accentuated wall for all of these factors. Yeah, I like that you said the slabs and the verts because I, I think that that's uh, that's very different from saying you know just slabs, right? Like uh, like if it's really a, a full on slab, like a ten degree in some ways, or you know minus ten, some ways you know holds don't matter, but it's that kind of steep slab that vert that slightly overhung you know that that five degrees maybe 10 degrees overhung that really has that same mechanic you're talking about where it's just all about your center of gravity and how to yeah how to manipulate it how to um yeah yeah what's allowed what's really i've been interesting experience growing up um so i have extremely mobile ankles uh my my toes can get you know pretty pretty close to my shin uh so that type of ankle mobility and uh you found so maybe 10 10 or 11 years ago when i started climbing i had a lot of coaches tell me like i would step on a lot of holds and like be in lead positions and like stand on volumes or not on volumes but like we didn't have volume back then but i would stand on like features on the wall and just like let my my toe just like lank out and a lot of time it wasn't very effective and you know coaches would tell me like don't do that like get away from that habit. It's not good. And I'll be like, why is it not good? It feels amazing. Like I can keep my body in this optimal stance and, and like, oh, well, I guess I can't create leverage in this type of movement when I do that. But it's definitely effective for keeping your body in, in an optimal stance. And I had one coach, his name was Isaac Williams, who was my you know very first real rock climbing coach and arguably, in my opinion, still the best coach I've ever worked with. And, uh, he was the first person to tell me, Timmy, that's okay. Like, I think you can do that and you can get away with it in certain places and you should just pay attention to when it's necessary. And I took that as like, well, I'm going to train the shit out of my ankle mobility. And I'm just going to do that all the time because every time I do it, it just allows me to do something else. And you're, you're understanding this like new age, you know, kids just do what feels best, you know, kids do what feels best. And you just, you know, as a coach, you, you can direct what, you know, why they're doing what they're doing and have them understand more about, you know, why they're using as utility. Because I agree with a lot of coaches that, you know, people, kids can overdo it for sure. You know, they can find very much comfort in what they're doing and overuse it in, you know, all sorts of utility. Kids can master the drill and, you know, take the drill and try to, you know, hammer something in and, you know, really take that analogy really, really far. Um, but we, we're not taking into account why that's effective. And now that we're talking about slopers on slab, I realize that, 
you know, you don't need your toes to create tons of leverage all of the time. Sometimes you literally just need to put your body in the best position to move your hands, right? And we were talking about matching slopers so that you can recreate leverage from a heel hook. Well, you know, you can move around your body and keep your feet in places just so you can move your hand to match a, a position. Then you can recreate leverage and then put pressure onto your toes. And I think you'll see that a lot in modern comp climbing and younger climbers are very, very good at using their feet in a way that don't have to be super aggressive. They can be passive stances so that you can create better tension and be in a better stance on the wall. I anyway, love a little experience nugget. Uh, well, no, I, I think you brought up something really important was uh, what you said is that we had already harped on this idea of, of full body connection of using your lower body to make the most of slopers in your upper body. And uh, something you pointed out is that on slab and, and I'll say, uh, you know, slight, you know, uh, vert and slightly overhung is that heels down is uh, one way to really sink your your sink down, and it actually puts more boot rubber onto the holds. Usually allows you to you know, lever your your hips in from beneath, and so uh, that's really different from if you are on an overhang with a sloper. You are pulling with your toes like a champ. Like assuming you're not on heels or anything, you are yarding. You are grabbing that spike on the roof with your toe and pulling your hips and connecting with your hand uh, like that. So that's a, I, I'm really glad you brought that up. And it made me remember one of the things I had thought about when you're on, you know, that, that same terrain that, uh, or that vertical type terrain is squat down, like get like, you know, you can just kind of like literally, I mean, literally squat down, get low. Uh, if you have that sloper on your chest or something, sometimes yeah, let's say you have a, a a side pull type sloper. It's right at your chest. You know, sometimes you just need to literally almost like sit down on your feet and lean over to make it work. You know, it, it's it's not just doing a back step and twisting it. I, I think a lot of times with slopers, you need to understand that just you know when we say get on your feet. Sometimes it's like almost freaking sit down on your feet. Yeah, when I say squat, totally. I mean squat and and the the. The other thing to to bring into that with the um with that that terrain is that really open hip mentality of really pushing your knees to the sides. Uh, you know, it's less forgiving on backstepping and, and twisting when you're uh on that terrain because the the slopers are probably going to be pretty bad. So you have to really embrace that open hips, close to the wall mentality. Um, yeah, good stuff, Tim. Yeah. I wonder, um, this kind of always gets me thinking about hold creation and, um, friction and the types of like plastic that will be used or the types of grit that will be used in, you know, over time, because I think the reason why ever since I was a kid, I'd nerded every time, like the gym would get new holes. And I'd be like, I, I would ask a route setter if I could go to the back and grab every hold. I would just be that kid and be like, and I knew, you know, the route setters would be like, John, can I just I know you guys got new holds. Can I go out there? Can I open the box with you? Can I touch them all? Like, I just wanted to know, you know, what was going to be possible. I wanted to know like what was going to come out in climbing. And I still want to know that because when I grab a new fiberglass hold or a new, a new age, like I don't even know the brand. I don't know the logo. And I go up and I know everybody's like this, man. Like everybody goes and like, Whoa, like you can do different things with this one. You know, like there's so many different and my favorite holds of all time are kind of the superstar revival series uh, from flat hold the very first fiberglass flat holes that came out um in competitions you know people were buying them that texture for me is just still my absolute favorite but i grab a lot of different volumes a lot of different textures a lot of different 
playful textures. And what I mean by that is, uh, I think I think hold companies are playing with how bad some texture can be, even brand new texture. I know Level, uh, Mike Pacino's company came out with these kind of slicker volumes, like purposefully slicker volumes. Uh, if you remember these big, big wedges that came out at Nationals probably like four or five years ago. And those were gritty and coarse, but they were slick. So it was very punishing if you didn't do kind of the right position. And this this ankle, uh, this heeled down uh, kind of standing on those volumes were much, much harder to commit to because it felt like your foot would kind of slide a little bit, even if you were in that optimal stance. So that's, it's not that it wasn't possible, but it was kind of more playful. But anyway, I, I want to nerd out about like holds over time just because of these concepts, because these concepts are so intricate in climbing movements. And I think they're all kind of contingent on how good or bad a sloper can be and how good or bad the texture of your feet can be, meaning how much leverage can you create? I think that stuff is all super, super interesting. It's funny how uh, when dual text came out, the, the whole point of a dual text hold is to, I, I think, I, oh, I mean, I could be wrong this, but my memory of dual text holds coming out was the idea that, okay, now you can say, here's an undercling but you don't get to step on it because it's mm -hmm. slippery. And now that's, uh, I mean, we, I think that their setting that is like, no, you have to step on this dual tech. So you have to use it as a handhold. And I don't know if I, I love that, but I think it's interesting how it, it came out to try to force one thing and it opened up a whole new idea of uh, what you can use in climbing and, yeah, I I, I yeah. personally don't don't love the the feeling of dual text. Uh, Dude, I think dual text. I think dual text is interesting because sometimes you can get it on a, one side of a hold for for that reason where you know you can undercling it but you can't step on the top of it. But you also can't pinch dual text very well. So that mm -hmm. you know when you're really good at climbing and when you're really strong at climbing, pinching kind of can fix some factors of difficulty, right? It, you know, if some sometimes you have no opposition, the thumb can just add a ton of opposition, and your thumb can be extremely strong. But opposition kind of goes away on dual text holes that you cannot pinch anymore. And I personally actually hate dual text because I think I think route setters and hold shapers take it extremely far, which is why I'm curious about kind of the middle ground between extremely textured holds and no textured holds. I think there's a middle ground where, like, when you go outside, dude, so, like you do an entire boulder and if it's eight move boulder, some of the holds are going to be extremely textured and some of the holds are going to be not textured. And that has a, an effect on how you climb the whole thing, right? And it starts to teach you like, well, on this specific movement, because this hold is so greasy, I have to do something different with my feet. But once I stick this one, you can literally be on a slopey, greasy left hand and stick a gritty in-cut right hand and you have to interact with that move differently. You have to, right? It forces you to fix what you're doing on the wall. And I think climbing holds in the future can also be like that, where like you could literally have one pinch where the top of it is kind of greasy and the the, the thumb part is gritty. So it has a, a huge effect on how you're climbing or, or vice versa, you know, where it's like really gritty, but it's got a thumb and the thumb is kind of texture, but it's not as good texture. I think, you know, multi-textured holds will be very, very interesting to see over time as well. This uh, This just made me think that we should... Uh, say one more thing about pinches. By the way, I am totally that guy that pinches everything, like you know, crimps. Using uh, like you know, have some yeah, flat crimp. I just yeah, yard into it with my <laughs> thumb. And I, I don't know how to describe that on audio, but it's like if you have a crimp. Okay, if imagine your a full crimp would be if you put your thumb over your index finger, right? So now you're full crimping. But if you take that thumb and then literally push against the hold as if it was under your uh, index or or, uh, or or middle finger, like you can push against the hold, which basically acts, makes your fingers act like a, or your thumb is like a lever and then your fingers pull and it allows you to get your whole body to lever into the wall. Um, and so the reason why we tossed 
uh, pinches kind of in, into this is that when you have a, a, a pinch, and we'll just say it's a bad pinch, right? It's kind of kind of slope. We'll, we'll say it's slopey. It's not one of those pinches where you, you see people just end up uh, crimping it instead, uh, <laughs> you know, I, or there's certain people that are like that where all they want to do is, is crimp the pinches. But uh, the technique, the mechanics are still similar for slopey or, or for slopers because let's say you're on a, a slopey pinch. What that thumb does is it allows you to get more friction on your fingers, which allows you to then have the ability to lever your body in closer to the wall. So the, the mechanic is still the same in some sense because it's a sloper, but that's what that pinch, that's what that thumb does is it gives you more friction on the holds, which allows you to pull out on it more rather than just, you know, almost make it more like a crimp where it, it gives you this ability to, yeah, to pull out on the hold a touch more, it makes it a little less punishing, I, I think would yeah, be the, the, for the sure. word we would use. He's a little bit of like a, like a high level thought for maybe some of you stronger climbers. Um, something that I've played with a lot over the years um, is direct gripping uh, versus passive gripping. So, you know, for one, yeah, you can just start level one of direct gripping is throwing your thumb on, right? But level two and level three direct gripping is changing the orientation of your fingers to create more optimal leverage. Um, and like I've, and I think the reason why I do this for one is because indoor holds tend to be extremely greasy and you can't necessarily create the exact amount of leverage you want if you're just cup gripping a hold. So if you have this like wider pinch and you're like fully grabbing it like this, I'm showing Josh, but if you have all your fingers straight, right. And you're, you're putting all the surface area. Oh, you're muted. I was just laughing at you. Cause you're like pinching your, your spin drift. Water can. There. Yeah. You're <laughs> be careful, man. You're too strong. Don't, don't <laughs> yeah. But the thought here is that if you use all of your surface area of your fingers, that alone is dependent on friction, right? So if you have a hold that isn't very much friction, you want to curl the fingers deeper into it and have more of a direct grip. And this really only applies if, in my opinion, if you're strong enough to do this, because I'll direct grip some holds and be like, okay, I'm not strong enough to direct grip that hold. But the more I direct grip things, I can bypass the, um, the position of my body. I can bypass the factor of, you know, my position, my body position has to be in the exact spot to make this hold feel good. Instead, I'll just direct grip it and then create the leverage that I want to. Um, and that's why I say it's a little bit more advanced because, you know, you have to understand exactly what is required for your movements and you have to understand exactly what you want to do and why, you know, why are you changing this part of how you're gripping a hold? But anyway, just on the thoughts of thumbs and how this can be implemented into pinching and slopers, um, you can change the orientation of your pinch as well, just for different reasons. I think it's very important to note. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Pinches are, I don't know. Pinches are my favorite, uh, hold personally. I, I mean, I think because they kind of have the, all those aspects where you're talking about where it's slopey, but you can then change you know, how much you're able to yard out on it based on your thumb. And, uh, I don't know, just, it, I enjoy, I enjoy all things pinches, but we're talking slopers. Uh, so I, I feel like we did a good job of, covering i'll just say uh, lower angle climbing um you know maybe slab overhang or sorry slab vert slightly overhung but uh you know for me where slippers get the most fun is on you know really steep climbing and roofs and i think we should toss in uh arets and dihedrals into here and i'm just going to come out and say that steep arets with slopers are my jam and what I love. I mean, to me, that's like that, that is like that wrestling with climbing. That is that feeling when you apply these ideas we're talking about where you're doing the right line of pull, you are really sucked up in, uh, your body just feels, 
you know, you feel almost like a spider. You're just right there on the wall and you can do things that just seem improbable. It's like, okay, you're upside down and you're grabbing, you know, when you're, when you're somewhat new to climbing and you don't understand how features work and you just see someone kind of like hugging an upside down arete and it's like, what are you even doing? Like, how are you on there? There's no holds there. And you know, the heel hooks and everything. I just, I don't know. I, this is just a, an, an ode to my, my, my love ode to steep uh, arets, but I, I think it's really important that we go into that because uh, that is a very distinct kind of climbing that I think we all encounter quite a bit is steep climbing on slopers. If it's just a flat wall, it's a little bit different. You, you don't often, you know, you're not going to be on a 60 degree roof and just have like a terrible, you know, face on sloper where, you know, or if you do, my argument is that you'll probably see big toe hooks to make it work, or you might do a thing where it's uh, jutting out from the wall. And you kind of hug it. I don't know how to describe that, Tim, you know, where you're, you, you squeeze it between your forearms, your hands on top, like it's a big giant boob feature. Uh, but yeah. Uh, what do you think, man? What, what do you think about when it comes to steeps, roofs and, uh, and slopers, man, I think you're really, um, I mean, it's hard to say because I think you and I are biased towards this, but I personally think that slopey, aggressive, overhung, arete, opposition compression climbing is the creme de la creme of climbing. I think because, you know, we, we have this whole podcast talking about why slopers are hard, you know, how to bypass those things, what to pay attention to, but that's why we love it, man. Like we, we love it because it's hard. We love it because it's interesting. We love it because it's difficult and we love it because there's a lot of creativity and a lot of, you know, unique you know, mechanics that can happen on this type of climbing more so than just this kind of straightforward ladder crimping and, you know, um, all that stuff. And, and not to shit on crimps necessarily. It's just that, you know, my experience a lot of the time on crimping tends to be diluted because, you know, I think, I think we, maybe it's route setting in its current day and age because dude, I'll go to like the boulder field and crimp and I'll be like, this is dope. Like I'm, I'm crimping and it's fun. Or I'll go to Bishop and crimp. I'm like, I, I like crimping, but I tell everybody, Hey, crimping, you know, crimping is boring and I, and I'm bad at crimping. Um, but sloper climbing really is like, you can always teach yourself more and you can always be more creative. So I, I, I just wanted to echo that. I think, I think sloper aggressive overhung climbing is the creme de la creme of climbing as a whole. Um, Plus one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not biased. Though. I mean, I'm also, uh, just, I, I think maybe you're good at too. I'm, I'm good at it, but I, I think it really brings all these ideas we've been talking about together because what I find is you get, you get spanned out. And the, the whole way that you're on the wall is that you're creating massive tension between each point of contact and great. So, uh, you know, you're creating extra compression to make more friction in order to lever your hips up close to the wall. And you're just this bound spring. And then you have to move your foot or you have to move your hand and solving that piece of the puzzle where you already feel like you're going to explode off the wall because you're at peak tension. Uh, and just, yeah, how do you make that next move work? I, I think it's, it's one of the more complex puzzles that really encompass every little bit of your body. Uh, so I, I think I, Tim, we're totally right. We're, we're not biased at all. Those are the best climbs. Let's just, yeah. And I think that, you know, the exact description of what you're talking about, I mean, I'm just going to say, yeah, it's not even a joke for me, <laughs> but, uh, slabs and verts, you know, we kind of mentioned the exact same definition description of that, you know, maintaining tension through active movements and, you know, actively maintain that tension, you know, in the positions that you have based on what you have. Um, and, overhung sloper climbing is the exact same thing but the interesting thing there is that on slab the factor that makes those things difficult the factor that pushes you off of that tension the factor that kind of 
doesn't allow you to maintain that tension is mostly balance, it's mostly position, and it's mostly friction. Whereas on overhung climbing, it's actually mostly strength and technique, right? And I think that's why I think this type of climbing is the creme de la creme because it actually pushes you to do the best techniques, the most creative technical movements, right? Lots of bicycling, lots of drop kneeing, lots of heel hooking, lots of just like body squeezing. Body placements have to be perfect and optimal to, to have this stuff. Well, performance also has to be perfect and optimal because sloper climbing, aggressive wrestle climbing is where energy can be spent the easiest. It can be spent inefficiently the easiest. And so if you aren't efficient at performance through breath work and understanding your effort output over time and understanding how to get to a neutral place while while sloper climbing, it's something that in my opinion, Josh is extremely good at intuitively. I watch him, you know, slap, you know, just slap a hold and his body just, just relaxes. His shoulders are relaxed. His back is relaxed, but his feet and his, you know, his heels and his calves are actively engaged so that the rest of his body can relax. And then he switches, transitions that tension, distributes that tension to his upper body to do the next move. And then he, but he maintains enough, you know, this is, this is to me, what kind of this overhung aggressive sloper climbing is about is this technical movement, but also you'll realize that if you do those perfectly, if you perform the best to your ability with technique and you put your bodies in the correct positions and you still cannot do a move, then climbing will actually tell you where you need to get stronger right? And it's, it's very different in a lot of other climbing where it doesn't necessarily tell you have to get stronger. In fact, I get a lot of clients tell me, I just can't do this move because I'm not strong enough. And I'm like, well, let's, I'm going to question that. How about we try all these mechanics first? How about we perform optimally? And then we see, are you actually not strong enough? And in slopers, you can do that very quickly, very easily. You can see what's possible and what's required and try that. And there aren't that many options necessarily. You just might have to get stronger. And I think for me, getting stronger at climbing sprouted from sloper climbing climbing a lot of slopey things, being unable to send sloper climbs, being like, I have to train now. Now I have to train. That's that's really interesting. Uh well, first of all, thanks for um saying kind things about me. Uh you know, it's it's I guess it's easy to say good things about someone when it's their they're definitely their forte. I don't know. I, I just I really I, I do enjoy that type of climbing. And so maybe I was good at it and then I got better at it because I enjoyed it. But anyways, uh there there is something really interesting about this ability to keep max tension in your, you know, in your upper body and then walk your feet through. I don't want to say that you lose tension in your lower body, but it's, it's this interesting technique that you can do in your lower body too, where you're clamped on and there's no room for relaxation. And then you have to move a, a limb. And I just, I love that. Uh, but uh, I, I really want to emphasize what you're saying where it comes to sloper climbing, teaching you, what you do need to get stronger at. Uh, I, I find that really interesting. I'd never heard that said. And I think that's so interesting because it, it basically is this thing where if you, the technique is so, so necessary. There, there's no cheating uh, slopers. Uh, I mean, I think that's, it, there's, it's so punishing. I, I really like that word. Where with crimping, uh, you know, Sometimes you can just get stronger at crimps. I, I mean, look, this eventually leads to crimps being so small that you have to have perfect technique. But I think that it, you know people can go longer down that journey. And I just I, I think that shows why uh, you know that shows why it's such a valuable tool. Like, you know, you, you said you kind of fell in love with slopers that um, it really taught you how to get stronger, and, and I think it really does require some kind of love for, for technique. Cause you have to think technique first and then it points out to you, okay, 
you're not strong enough here. And it sloper climbing is often, we, we call it burly, right? Like, I mean, you definitely hear that word like, oh, that's a burly or ret. And it's funny because we're basically saying how slopers are uh, the most punishing in the form of technique because it requires you to really act or use your body in the most technical way. But I think you make a really good argument that it then highlights where you're weak. And I don't know, I just, that's really cool, Tim. I had never heard, I'd never thought of it like that. And I really like that. Yeah. I'll share a little experience. I started climbing when I was 13. I was really, really a late bloomer and I did not grow very much until I was in high school. <clears throat> and uh, I started climbing before high school. And I was, when I was 13, I was four foot 11 and 70 pounds when I started climbing, just super like also just skinny and lanky kid, like just not strong at all. I couldn't hang on the bar. I couldn't do many pushups or anything, but I found rock climbing and rock climbing was really fun for me. And I, and I was very good at, I don't know. My fingers were very strong, but I, I didn't crimp anything ever. I open-handed everything. Um, and just like that natural tendon strength was, you know, there as a, as a kid. And, uh, I climbed V10 by the end of my first year, but it was like kind of the, the crimpy ledgy heel hooky thing in the PG back cave. And, you know, I was able to technique my whole way up it. And during that time, I remember like falling on a lot of V4, V5, V6 slopey climbs. And I never tried them because it just hurt my ego so bad. You know, every time I would try and just be like, but I suck at climbing here and I want to be good at climbing. So I want to do the stuff that makes me feel good at climbing. And as a kid, I, I really struggled with this concept of, well, I should, you know, widen my scope and, you know, get better at other things because it can teach me a lot of other things. And, and Isaac would force me in my warmups. He would be like, Timmy, have you sent that V4? Like you're going to do this circuit today. And he would make me send every single climb in the gym every single climb in the gym and he would pick he would pick on me and get all the easier sloper climbs that he knew i would fall on and i would have to prove it to him he'd be like oh let's go and try it let's go and do it then you go and do it to me that's just like oh what a good coach you know like recognizing that instead of having a conversation with me just like go and do it dude like you'll figure it out yourself let's not even have an argument about it let's just you know i don't need to prove anything to you You just go and try it and since then that's kind of when i was like man like i could just teach myself so much if i wasn't so worried about how I feel on the wall. And, and it was embarrassing, you know, cause I would be this upcoming kid, you know, trying to prove myself on this climbing team that had a lot of really strong athletes, by the way, Ross was already winning nationals at this time. And, you know, it was not the strongest kid on the team by far. There was a lot of stronger homies on that team. So I had a lot to prove and yeah, going backwards and, you know, climbing on slopers and teaching myself that was really, really hard, but I just want to emphasize that. I think that's the proper way of teaching yourself climbing, you know, it's just humbling yourself you know, and falling and learning like why these factors are difficult. If there's one thing you guys get from this podcast, it really is just us emphasizing the the learning opportunities you can have in climbing. You know, we've learned through climbing, not because we've went to school and researched, you know, and read a textbook on climbing. No, because we fell a lot. You know, we fell a lot and realized why falls happen a lot and how you can kind of bypass those things and gain confidence and gain control. Um, but I do want to kind of, you know, reminisce on my experience of learning this in, in, in the beginning and it was terrible and I hated it and it was embarrassing. And so I just want to make sure that we, we talk about that because, you know, it will be embarrassing and it will feel like, you know, your, your pride as a climber is questioned, you know, because you probably will fail and you'll probably will struggle. But these are the things to think about when you are failing and while you are struggling, these things can get you better at climbing if you think about it in this way. Yeah. If you're not willing to suck, you're never going to be great. Period. <laughs> I, I mean, it, and uh, it, it's something that I, I think we even addressed this on a, a, a listener question around trying hard or, um, you know, 
you gotta be willing to to try hard. Like you know, it, it's embarrassing to maybe you know maybe you're a V10 climber and there's a V5 sloper climb and, and it's hard for you and you might have to really dig deep to to try. To, you have to you might have to yell your way up it. And I just know because I'm I'm like this too. You don't want to be seen doing that. You're like I'm too good for this climb. I shouldn't have. To, I, I'm not going to try really hard. But actually, and I think we tackled this in the effort uh, podcast as well. Is you have to try really hard even to learn. Like right? It's like what does it mean to try really hard on a sloper? Well, it's uh, it's not the same as trying really hard on an e bar. You know, it's like you you have to open yourself up to to really giving it your all at whatever technique, uh, you're, you know, you need to embrace. So, uh, you know, I, 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 I do think that it's important to just get out there and do it. And I, I don't, I shouldn't say that. I don't just think it's important. I think it's absolutely necessary to get out there and do it and to try hard, but hopefully, uh, me and Tim are helping you take a look at your performance and understand why things went wrong or right. And that allows you to have a little, you know, a little arrow, uh, forward, you say, okay, well, maybe I should try it this way because I heard Tim say this and maybe that unlocks it for you. Maybe it doesn't, but, uh, you know, we're just trying to point you in the right direction and, and give you maybe, a, maybe you only need to do nine tries instead of 10. And you get that little gem of wisdom that you, know, you can see Tim and I, and I have these, these memories of these breakthroughs. Like there's these climbs, there are these moments where it kind of clicks and you're like, oh, that's what it, that's what I was trying to do the whole time. And, uh, you know, you know, this is why I, I think coaching and, and climbing with, with friends and, uh, this is where it's important is you still have to unlock it yourself. Like you still have to learn it deep down inside in your body and your, in your brain, you know, not just your brain and your body, uh, but hopefully we're, we're guiding you, uh, as to where to find that knowledge. And, uh, yeah, Tim, uh, I, I, I'm trying to think if there's any big things I still want to say about uh, roofs. Um, I mean, they're awesome. So get out there and do it. Uh, and, you know, the the only other kind of area we didn't tackle was uh, dihedrals and slopers. And, you know, surprise, surprise, it's it's the same. Uh, get real close to the wall. Like when, when you're, you know, if you're, if the slopers are far on the dihedral side, like, uh, you know, like you're palming them, you just get, you get your cheek up against the wall. You are inside that dihedral, right? That is what makes it good. Um, and even with Gaston's, it kind of still comes down to that, you know, get close to the wall. These fundamentals apply in every scenario. Uh, and I love slopers, man. I don't know. I you love uh, slopers. I, I just, that's what Tim, Tim, Tim sent me all these <laughs> notes and he's just wrote in all caps. Like, love slopers. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. 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 That's the challenge out there, guys. Love slopers. Find out how to love slopers and uh, climbing will be unlocked for you. Yeah. And uh, I, I do agree that uh, it 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 just it, sometimes something about slopers, I think, open up creativity as well. Uh, you know, they're often bigger holds. You know, I mentioned that hand foot uh, heel matching. It just I, I feel like slopers allow for um, more more creativity. And uh, yeah, I want to just uh, emphasize again your argument that climbing on slopers and and learning that technique then leads you to understanding where you truly are weak and i think that's freaking cool man i i i i don't know i that will be stuck in my head that was a light bulb moment for me as well 
Dude, I mean, like I've climbed with a lot. Um, growing up, I competed with a lot of extremely talented climbers, and you know, I was I was in the same age category as Drew Ruana and Kai Leitner and Zach Gala. We we always competed together, and I've there were those guys. Yeah, mm-hmm. those yeah, guys pretty strong good. climbers. Yeah. <laughs> and Ben Hanna, and you know, we, we were all in the same competitions as youth always. And you know, surprise, surprise, there were a lot of other really strong climbers that aren't those names. Um, and they all came from different backgrounds, different bodies, different sizes, different strengths, like guys who I would think could not do certain climbing movements or couldn't scale that to, you know, to get to places. And I'm looking at them, you know, now over a long period of time, I'm like, wow, that strength can be applied in their own way so well, you know, and they decided that, you know, by based on their experience in certain climbing, they wanted to strengthen other parts of their body. So, you know, my opinion in climbing as a whole is that you can strengthen whatever you want in climbing and use it in whatever way you want to do it. And you can optimize your own climbing. Now, you know, yeah, sure. There's probably a perfect climber out there. There's probably a perfect build for a climber out there that can get up the most optimally, but who cares, right? Do your optimal, find your optimal, work on, work on the strengths that you find necessary to get the moves that you can do the best. And your opinion is going to be better than anybody else's. You know, if you, if you really truly have an experience on a climb and you need to get stronger for it, you should get stronger in that way versus, you know, telling a coach like, Hey, this is my experience on this climb. Like what workouts should I do? It's like, well, you probably already know the answer, you know, like, I mean, maybe you can get some guidance for like, Hey, this is the muscle that I want to train, or this is the type of motion I want to train. Like what workouts have you done? Like, those are great questions to ask experienced climbers, experienced trainers, like friends. Um, but the, the thought process of how to train, what should come from your experience of falling and failing on slopers, my opinion. Cool. I like it. All right. Well, uh, I want to, I want to put a pin in, in the slope episode and, uh, but before we go, I, I wanted to, you know, let everyone know that if there's any topics that they're interested in, we're, we're always, uh, you know, looking to cover more and you can, uh, leave us a comment on Instagram or uh test piece climbing and yeah, and come give us a follow on Instagram. We have way more, we have way more listeners than we do, uh, <laughs> followers on Instagram, but I guess we've never really, you know, even told people we had an Instagram, but uh, would love to to get follow there and uh, give us your thoughts, and also rate us on whatever uh, you know podcast player you listen to, whether that's Spotify. And it has to be a five star rating, please, um, just because I mean, dude, Tim's dropping of knowledge bombs. Uh, and then, last but not least, uh, if you're out there and you want to help us with the Test Piece podcast, we're looking for some help around producing and editing. Uh, you know, a lot of work goes into this behind the scenes and that's uh, just me and Tim over here. And if you want to be another me, Tim and you, uh, you can email us at hi at testpeaceclimbing.com or, uh, you know, DM us on Instagram. And with that, I don't know, Tim, I'll see you next week. See you next week. Thanks for listening guys. And, uh, yeah, see you. Love slopers. Love slopers. <laughs> <laughs>